Welcome to Tailboard Talk, a fourth shift fitcast. The mission of Tailboard Talk and the fourth shift fitness is to educate and train fire service personnel to increase durability and decrease the potential for injuries and their associated costs. My name is Chris Morella, owner and founder of Fourth Shift Fitness. I'll use my experience as a personal trainer, strength coach, and 15-year veteran of the fire service to deliver tips, tricks, lessons, and information specifically geared towards the health and wellness of firefighters and paramedics. Each episode, you'll leave with immediate deliverables that will improve performance and resilience and keep you in the fight through your career and into retirement. Let's get into it. Here we go. What is up, crew? Thank you for coming back. Welcome to episode three of Tailboard Talk, a fourth shift fit cast. If you're new to the podcast or this is your first one you're checking out, please go back. Check out episodes one and two. Episode one was the introduction episode, so you'll learn all about me and what fourth shift fitness is and also what Tailboard Talk is, this podcast, this fit cast. Most importantly, what I'm hoping to bring to you guys and girls with all this is good information for the first responder, firefighter, EMS community that's purposeful, practical, and applicable. Episode two was all about wearable technology. We were talking fitness trackers, big highlight on the whoop strap. We also talked about the Apple watch, some other pedometers and how they are applicable or useful for fire and EMS. So please go back, check those out today though. Today, we're talking about three areas that are very near and dear to my heart. Last week, I gave a little tease on an incentivized fitness program that I was planning on running this month, and it is running. So I'm going to be able to give you a little bit of a background and update on that. We'll go actually into pretty good detail on that program in case you're interested in getting some sort of incentivized fitness program for your department. We're also going to be talking about two other campaigns I'm involved in, and both of them are focused on the goal of reducing fire and EMS suicides. And with September being National Suicide Awareness and Prevention Month, it's more than appropriate time to start talking about these and start building momentum as we get closer to December. One of these programs I'm going to be talking about is Devote December, and the other one is Spring for Change. Both of them are in their second years of running, and they are absolutely, I mean, I think they're great programs, obviously, but I'm going to go over what they are, why they're absolutely needed, and what we hope to accomplish with them in the future. So let's get into topic one, which is the Fall Fitness Incentive. And this is a program that started to take shape as I began to feel like we were at a stable point in this pandemic crisis world that we're living in. It may seem like a strange time to try and start something new, but I really feel like it's, it's actually pretty good timing for this, and it's really needed. So we're about six months into this crisis thing, right? And uh I mean, it's been terrible, but I feel like we're at a relative stable point in the life cycle of this thing. And we're still going on plenty of calls for sick people, still plenty of suspected infected people that we're dealing with on a daily basis. But if nothing else, if nothing else, we have stable and consistent PPE and we have stable and established and consistent policies to handle it now, which I mean, is just a huge relief in itself. And I got to say my department really did a phenomenal job with this. I mean, navigating something that no one has ever dealt with before with the severity of it, the duration of it, the complicated initial stages of it. uh, We really did a really good job. And of course we had some growing pains, right? But for what we were dealt with and how we were playing them, we did a fantastic job. And that's the timing I'm talking about with trying to implement this incentivized program. It's not necessarily like, hey, we won the championship and it's time to celebrate. 
It's more like, hey, we're moving on to the next round of playoffs. And so still high fives and attaboys and and good jobs and praise, but we still got a lot of work to do. And I see that as a really good time to give back a little and maybe give a little morale boost before we maybe dive back into cold and flu season and we're inundated again with uh, another resurgence of sick people. And as we start to poke our heads up out of the fog in this stable point, we can do something good for our people. So, of course, also, let's not lie here, it's an incentivized fitness program, so I stand to benefit from it too. I see really no downside to this. And isn't that what we usually kind of do as uh, first responders is we identify issues that other people have that we might also share, and then we try to fix their problems in hopes that maybe ours get solved along the way. So one of the problems I found over the course of this pandemic was that my training and my fitness were put on the back burner. And there was definitely more days than typical that where I had the option of doing nothing or working out or training. And I chose to do nothing. And that's a, a common choice for me. Maybe a couple of times a week, I'll make that choice. But in the middle of this thing, when we were really going through it, it was more frequent than not, even though I know that working out would help me improve my mood and do a lot to keep me mentally healthy. I mean, even walking, I shouldn't say even walking, especially something like walking can activate that parasympathetic nervous system, get you out of fight or flight and basically help everything. So that's one thing I did keep doing. We, we kept walking Nathan down to the park and we would go for walks, but in terms of actual like hard training for one reason or another, whether it was the sleep stuff I talked about in the last podcast or just being feeling mentally drained, I just did not want to work out. So I saw this, this incentivized fitness program as maybe a little bit of boost I needed to get back and start reestablishing good habits that I had been so good at keeping before. And then maybe that could help other people that maybe had the same feelings that I did. And like I said before, also, it's just a little boost. Maybe as we start to feel better about what we're doing at work, maybe we can give a little benefit. And you and I both know there's very few things that firefighters like more than free stuff. And although this would require a little bit of effort to get that quote unquote free stuff, I think it still qualifies. So I think I was hoping I would have some pretty good participation. Aside from just the way I feel about it, there's also a definite need for some sort of fitness program, incentivized or not, but some sort of fitness program in the fire service. And it doesn't take much Googling and reading and looking around to see. I'm not going to say researching because I don't research. I just read. Uh, But even just looking up the NFPA numbers from 2018, you can quickly find some highlights on firefighter injuries. So I have a couple of those. Let's just run through a few stats real quick. In 2018, there were 58,000, and it was 58,000 plus a couple hundred, 58,000 injured with just under 11,000 lost time. So 11,000 people were off work because of an injury in 2018. 39% of all injuries happened on the fire ground, and the leading cause of fire ground injuries was overexertion or strain. Besides fire ground injuries, strains, sprains, and muscular pain accounted for 59% of all non-fire ground injuries. It's a lot of injuries, right? And so then if you do another little search and look up NIST numbers, now this is from 2019, so obviously a year later, but they put out their report, the economics of firefighter injuries in the United States. And the estimated cost of firefighter injury is between 1.6 billion, that's a B, and 5.9 billion annually. But they also want to say this is a cost result in a loss equivalent to approximately $50,000 to $200,000 per department per year, 
or if you break it down to the individual level, 1,500 to 5,500 per firefighter per year. Man, and so what those mean, what those numbers mean is that we get hurt and we get hurt a lot and then it costs a lot. And so some departments have put some programs in place, did another quick little look, and there was a program out of Tucson. This was in 2013, I believe, and it was was actually a study. And the study was titled Evaluation of a Fitness Intervention for New Firefighters, Injury Reduction and Economic Benefits. And here's what they said. Essentially, I'll summarize it for you. They gave their recruit class uh, an exercise intervention program. So they put them on a program and then they track their injuries through their probationary year and also their first year after that. Their report was the intervention class experienced significantly fewer injuries overall and during their probationary year filed fewer claims and experienced claims cost savings of approximately $33,000 from avoided injury and reduced claims cost. So just from their class, they saved $33,000 in that time period. So with those numbers in mind, it definitely serves not only the members, but the public in our community to have some sort of fitness program in place. I went to a few guys on my department and I ran the idea by them. We decided we needed to come up with a fitness program of some sort that could be implemented quickly in this sort of stable period, but was a different take on it than we've talked about before. Because when we start talking about fitness programs in the fire service, there's always two resounding oppositions or hesitations or concerns that are brought up. And the first one is usually that the fitness assessment or evaluation or program is going to end up being punitive in some way. Meaning if you don't do well at it, you can get fired. You can lose your job. And you might say, no, it's incentivized. That means if you do well, you get a benefit. If you don't do well, you just don't get the benefit. And I would like to believe that in a perfect world, that's true. And that's what would happen. But unfortunately, as we've seen in all of 2020, the world's not perfect. And there is an opportunity, potentially, depending on your environment and your culture or whatever, that people might say, not only didn't you do well, you're not getting the benefit, but you did so poorly that maybe you shouldn't work here. And that is something that unions are typically generally against, which is not a bad thing, but it means that developing that program that the union will agree on, that the city will agree on, and then agree to fund, and then actually carry carry through with, is a very very difficult project. Very, it's possible, it's absolutely possible, but it's very difficult and a very long term project to do. There are definitely departments that have them, and they've become part of the culture of that department now. But getting them started is is very tough. Now, the second most prominent opposition to this fitness program is our little friend our ego. And uh, that little guy is alive and well, in me especially, but that ego can put an end to almost everything. Because what some people might see as an opportunity, like, hey, I have an opportunity to do this fitness thing and get a benefit. That same situation can easily be looked at as a threat and also like a pointed direct insult to certain other people. And it's not to say that It's meant that way at all, obviously, right? We want everybody to raise their level of proficiency and professionalism and ability and performance. But some people take that as a threat because they feel like, oh, the only reason this is happening is because of me and kind of spin out in their own heads and then they're absolutely opposed to it. And that even happens on things that aren't incentivized and are voluntary and are not punitive in any way, shape or form. I mean, we ran 
our entire department through the FMS, the functional movement screen a couple of years ago. And we had a handful of guys that said, no, thanks. And after they were originally kind of open to it, once they saw what it was and what we'd be doing, which is spoiler alert, nothing extreme, nothing defeating, nothing really embarrassing. In my opinion, they said, no. Uh, and we told them, listen, you cannot fail this thing. It says right in the instruction manual, you cannot fail. You get graded on it and you might get a lower score or a lower grade, but there's no failing. And then we told them, Hey, listen, if you think you're going to do poorly and you do poorly, that actually helps us because the more proof we have that we need more attention and we need more funding and we need more time with all the membership, these numbers can prove that these numbers can prove that we need to have put a higher emphasis on fitness. So if you do poorly, that actually helps us out. And still they were resistant to it. They just did not want to put themselves out there to potentially look weak or unable or not up to snuff. Uh, and so even in a situation like that where their ability level, if it was lacking, can help us, the ego get, can potentially get in the way and just derail everything. So I chose to after talking to the, uh, a few of my guys, I chose to take a little bit of a different approach. And here's what I approached the union with. So I didn't approach the department first. I went to the union because I wanted this thing to be able to get, uh, not fast tracked, but the process of going through the union is much faster than going through the city and the government and finance and legal and all that. So I went to the union to see if we could implement it, implement it this way. And here's what I pitched the fall fitness initiative. And I, I copied my proposal here. I'm not going to read it verbatim, but essentially I wanted to do what we already talked about. Take advantage of our current state and our current stability in the situation to continue and promote healthy lifestyle choices and physical activity that will help us physically and mentally. And then over the course of September, here's, the, here's what we'll be able to do. Members will be able to use cardio equipment on and off shift to accumulate points they can spend on union merchandise at the end of the month. There will be prizes that are attainable for all fitness levels and members can decide how to spend their points at the end of the month. So essentially what we have, what my brother refers to it is a Chuck E. Cheese type of situation. You accumulate points based on your work over the course of the month. At the end of the month, we tell you pick a prize or pick several prizes. It's up to you. The more you do, the more you get. If you don't want to do anything, then you get nothing, but it's going to be up to how much you want to get involved with this thing. Points are able to be accumulated off shift as well, as long as the activities can be categorized the same as the department equipment. We will be tracking by spreadsheet, but also asking for photo documentation of the efforts. So people will be asked to send in screenshots of their GPS if they go for a walk or a bike ride. Uh, they can submit their Strava pages. They can take pictures of the readouts on the cardio equipment. We just need something to cross-reference their points to make sure everybody is uh, above board and and. Not that we think anybody's going to be a lie about it, but it just helps us stay accountable. And so that's it. If you don't want to participate, don't. If you want to do some stuff, you'll get some stuff. And I saw this format serving two purposes. First of all, if you've been keeping up with it, then be able to accumulate more points and get more stuff. So that's a high five. Kind of a pat on the back for sticking with it and staying disciplined through this time. The second one is if you haven't been active, like I said, firefighters love free stuff, maybe walking a couple miles to get a travel mug with the union scramble on it is enough to get you going. And maybe we can start a little bit of a, a good habit formation over the course of September that can continue on as the months get darker and as sickness starts to reemerge just from normal cold and flu season, but start to lay those tracks in September. So I took it to the e-board 
and I asked for a dollar amount. They decided that based on the dollar amount, because it was a couple thousand bucks, they wanted me to present it to the general membership. So I presented at the general membership meeting, had some questions, had some discussion, but in, in general, everybody was in favor for it. And so they voted for it. It got approved. And then we started moving down the process of putting this thing together. So then it was time after it got approved to start picking out merchandise. And that's where there was a little bit of a a catch. That's where a little bit of flexibility came into play because since it's a union run event with union merchandise, that means it has to follow the union rules, which means it's made in the USA and made by union labor, if at all possible. So you got to make every attempt and every, every effort to follow those two guidelines. If not, you can go by USA made and non-union labor, but they really want you to stick to both of those things, made in USA and also union labor. So I'll admit that kind of narrowed down the prize pool selection to a relatively small group of stuff we could get. But for the first year of this thing running and having it being funded and approved and going to start in a couple months, I was considering that a huge victory. And realistically, this is the first ever incentivized fitness program that my department has ever run. So if we have less than amazing prizes the first year, but we have an opportunity to grow this thing in the future. I'm totally down with that. That's, that's fine with me. So here's what else I did. First was union. Second, I went to the department basically for clearance and for restrictions and for permission to be able to run this essentially union event in their stations in our department. And aside from just a few questions and maybe some things they would like to see and not like to see, the plan stayed relatively intact as it was originally written. And then third, I actually went to foreign fire tax after that and asked them if they would be willing to reimburse the union for 50% of the cost of goods paid out to members during the month. So that means if it took $2,000 to buy all the merchandise, because some items had minimums on them, so we had to get 50 mugs and 20 t-shirts. If it cost $2,000 to stock us up with merchandise, and we ended up paying out $1,000 worth of merchandise to membership, I was asking Foreign Fire Insurance Fund if they would pay back 50% of that cost paid out, so $500. And they said they would. They believed in it too. They saw the union was in on it. They saw the department approved it. And they said, if this was endorsed by everybody, it's a fitness incentive and we like it. So we'll give you 50% of whatever the total cost of goods paid out to the membership ends up being. So all said and done, uh, it took about a month and a half of planning two or three weeks because the the meetings were all spread out. So two or three weeks of meetings between the union, the administration, and foreign fire insurance. And then everything was essentially approved to run a month later in September. So we had nailed down our levels of prizes and also our products. And we came down with four levels of prizes. The first level was drinkware. So we had a travel mug, a giant beer stein, and a metal water bottle. Second level was a hat. The third level was a workout shirt, like an Under Armour type of wicking shirt. And the fourth level was like a light zip-up jacket. All this stuff's going to have the union scramble and the union logo on it. And then we had to decide how much of each thing it would take to earn each thing. So one of the guys I work with is an Excel whiz, and he came up with point values or effort values for each piece of cardio equipment. Our cardio options are pretty much standardized throughout all the stations. So in all the stations, except for a couple, we have all the same cardio equipment. We have a treadmill, a step mill, stationary bike, like a spin bike, an elliptical and a rower. So all all seven stations have that stuff. And we gave point values to all those things. So here's just two examples. We said, if you walk or run 
three quarters of a mile, that equals one point. If you bike two miles, that equals one point. And we went down the list. If you elliptical this far, it equals one point. If you row this many meters, it equals one point. My buddy put that into a spreadsheet. So you could just enter your distance. It would convert that to points and you could keep a running total for how well you were doing, how many points you had to spend at the end of the month. We also set up a separate union email so they could email a copy of their sheet every week. And also the photo documentation could all go to one email instead of having some people send it to my email, some people text me, some people send it to other guys' email on the fitness committee. So we kept everything very centralized, very streamlined, and we chose to do it with a union email and not department email just to keep it all in one spot we could better get to and everybody could better access. So here's some points that we had to either point out, reemphasize, or clarify in the first week and leading up to the first week. The first and most popular one was, can points be accumulated off shift? And the answer is yes, as long as they can be categorized in one of the designated equipment categories. And so that leads into a second question, which we got was, hey, I weightlifted today, or I went to a boxing class today, or I went to the gym and worked out. Can I get points for that? That answer is no, unfortunately. And that's only because we wanted to keep it streamlined and simple. We decided that distance on specific pieces of cardio equipment or in specific disciplines was the easiest way to do that for the first year running. And maybe in the future, we can quantify that effort uh, a better way. But for this year, we kept it to just those things. So no, your boxing class doesn't count. But if you decide to go for a walk for half an hour, track your distance, then that counts. Which leads into the next question. My phone tracks my steps and converts that to distance. Can I claim the 15 miles I walk over the course of the day or doing yard work? That's a no. Okay. And this is the gray area. We said, please don't for that one. Because it is gray area. If I walk Nathan to the park and it's two miles away, technically I can count that because there's a purposeful walk, right? But if I just go mow the grass and I walk back and forth across my yard 50 times and it equals two miles, that shouldn't count. It's not purposeful exercise, even though it's activity. So this is a gray area one, right? But we didn't want to dissuade people from being active. So we said, please don't for that one. And then naturally, because of who we are and the way we operate, we had a handful of questions that were basically people who read the subject line of the email and then decided that instead of reading the rest of it, they would just call us or text us and ask us how much they had to do to get a hat. And so we had to address those people individually and refer them back to the reading. You might be saying, wow, that sounds like it went really well for you, Chris, but bad news. My department would never go for that and my union would never go for that. And so good for you, but that's not going to fly. And the only thing I can tell you is they might, okay? They might, but you have to, you have to do a few things first. And I really believe, I got four things written down here. I really believe these are the reasons that I've been able to get things done in the, in the past, and especially why this particular one went so smoothly. And the first one is you got to be flexible, okay? I would love for this to be a, a city-run event or a department-run event and have it come down from the top and be funded and all that, but that's just not what it is. Okay. That's not what it is. It would also be a lot easier if we didn't have to stick by the union guidelines for buying products that would open it up a lot more, probably attract a lot more people, but that's not what it is. Okay. The end goal here of getting people involved and getting a incentivized fitness program started is the goal. And so getting there is important. You can't just throw everything to the wind, but accomplishing that goal is number one. And so if you got to be a little flexible, and make things work for the moment because you know you can build on them later. I, I am all in favor of doing that. The second thing is you got to go to people that you're pitching things to with a mostly complete plan, like 90%. And if it's not complete, 
the things that aren't complete about it, you got to have a plan to make them work. You got to have an idea of how you can make those unknowns work. When you go sit in front of staff or admin or the union, they don't want to see you figure stuff out in front of them. They don't want to see you troubleshoot on the fly. They want to ask you questions that they know might be weak points and they want to see your answers for those weak points. So as many times as you can, if you go to pitch something, make sure you go into them with basically, here it is and I need a yes or no. Or here it is and there's this one thing I'm figuring out still, but here's how I'm going to take care of it. Can I please have a yes or no? The third thing is accountability. If you're going to pitch something to staff, to the union, to whoever, you have to take accountability and responsibility for the project, the people involved in it, and whatever issues are going to come up along the way. You got to assure them that your project is not going to create more work for them. At the same time, if something goes wrong, right? Like we had a small error in the spreadsheet. There's nothing wrong with saying, hey, Tim made that. Go talk to Tim. And then Tim fixes it and we're all good. But if anything else goes wrong where there's accountability to be taken, responsibility, that's you. Okay, it's your project. You're leading it. And you have to show them that you're willing to take whatever comes down the pipe, good or bad. And the fourth thing is that it all comes down to relationships. Okay, even if the plan needs work, even if it's 70, 80% complete and you have an idea what you want to do, if they believe that there's a good reason for it and they believe in you and they believe that it's a worthwhile project, they're going to give you an opportunity or a chance to adjust it and come back to them. Okay. If you look like a mess and you're disorganized and you're trying to figure stuff out on the fly, it's just going to be a hard no. And what that takes is a long track record of being reliable and dependable and honest and trustworthy. It took me 10 years of consistent and quality work to get to this point, to be able to approach the union and have a small discussion to get something approved and then go right to the department, to the heads of the department and get it approved from there. But it, so it takes a long time to build that trust from both ends to get stuff passed. So whenever you come to them with something, their automatic thought is, hey, this is probably a good thing rather than this is going to be, this is going to be a mess. This will be a liability because the last three things you brought up were also a disaster. So this one's probably not going to be any different. So put in the work, put in the work, the consistent quality work for as long as it takes so you can establish those trust and relationships. So when you do bring something up, you have a much, much better shot of them giving you the benefit of the doubt and then it, it getting approved or passed through or supported with far less hesitation. And so that's that's uh, an overview of the Fall Fitness Initiative, kind of how I developed it, how I got through the process, and it's running. We're, we just got done with the first week of it. It seems like it's going well. I'm cautiously optimistic of how it's going to turn out. And I'm going to keep you guys updated. Uh, the next podcast will come out in a few weeks. We'll be at the end of it. And then I'll probably do one again, not just the next one, but the one after that with a total recap and an idea of how it went. Uh, if you guys have any questions about it, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. Shoot me a message. I'd love to get more things like this organized. Or if you have a better way to get it going or running, man, I'd love to hear that too. Because although this one went relatively easily to go through, uh, as we start to grow it, I can definitely see more difficulties and hurdles in the way that I'll have to figure out how to navigate. But if I have you guys to help me, I'm all about that, man. I am all about that. So let's switch gears. And we're going to talk about the two other campaigns and initiatives I'm involved with. And these two things are also new, uh, relatively new, about two years old. But I really, really want these ones to grow. And I really want them to help the fire service as much as possible. And both of them are actually with Annette Zapp, also a fire rescue fitness. We met together uh, at the Illinois Firefighter Peer Support Symposium a couple years ago, and we were both presenting. And then we co-presented last year 
And so we developed Devote December and Spring for Change. And there are two campaigns focused directly on awareness and reduction of fire and EMS suicide. So let's start with Devote December because that one chronologically came first and actually led to Spring for Change. And Devote December was born in my basement at, during a workout. And it was like November. And remember, it's called Devote December. So another short-term thing. And I texted Annette and said, "We, I think we can do something to honor and recognize the people who have committed suicide over the past year. She was on board immediately, but we needed to figure this thing out relatively quick because it was, like I said, November and we were trying to do something in December. So about 500 texts in roughly 36 hours. We came up with the name Devote December because it would be happening in December and we would be devoting the month to remembering those who took their lives and trying to prevent future suicides and fire and EMS. And the initial thought was to use the current number of fire and EMS suicides as a call to recognition and action. And each day we would look up the current number of validated fire and EMS suicides and then do something with that number, some sort of action, and then tag it as our daily devote December. So let's say that the number was 100. That means that 100 people so far had been validated of committing suicide and fire and EMS. You would do 100 squats or 100 push-ups and then tag hashtag devote December. And then we would see it. We would reshare it. And we would try to grow this movement, this awareness campaign through physical activity. Now, our original thought was that the holiday season in winter was the highest time for suicides. So maybe, maybe, maybe if someone was hurting or in a bad way as we got into December, they would stumble across devote December. And one of a couple things would happen. They would either see the community that we assembled that was growing and possibly feel some support, or they would try to vote December. And from whatever activity they did, maybe they liked it. We already know, and the research is out there, how physical exercise can be used as a treatment for depression and can alleviate the symptoms of stress and anxiety. And I fully understand how naive and oversimplistic that sounds, that somebody would just try to do 100 squats and feel better and then not want to kill themselves. I get it. And I'll link a study in the the show notes that that kind of goes into it because there's a bunch of different theories why exercise helps those with depression. But here's the summary. Here's the main takeaway is that the mechanisms underlying the antidepressant effects of exercise remain in debate. However, the efficacy of exercise in decreasing symptoms decreasing symptoms of depression has been well established. And when you look at this study, the study is called, let me get to the top here, the benefits of exercise for the clinically depressed. And uh, I'll link that in the show notes. Take a look at it. There's a lot of stuff in there, but the bottom line is clear that exercise does in fact help depression. So that was one of the goals here. If we can get people that aren't feeling well, and they may have depression or symptoms of depression to exercise frequently through December, maybe they'll feel a little bit better. So it was a long shot, but we felt that something needed to be done, and this was a good place to start. And as it turns out, we're almost right with the timing. Both of us had always thought that, like I said, the winter and the um, holiday months were the worst for suicide. That had to be the highest time because everybody's getting together. You start thinking about the end of the year. It's easy to let those dark thoughts creep in. So that must logically be the highest number of suicides. But after a little bit of looking, we found out that the spring months are actually statistically the highest months in terms of rate of suicide for general population. And this is a point that Annette brings up frequently in her interviews and her talks is that we are 
general population. We just live in this strange world with all this other stuff going on, but it's not like we're born in Sparta and they only pick the strongest and the most able to be part of the fire department. They throw the rest off a cliff. We are people that thought this was a good job. We liked it. We became professionals at it. And now we're there, but we came from general population. So we have all the same risk factors and all the same predispositions to mental health crisis as general populations. And then we're thrown into these extreme situations. Then we're thrown into the trauma, witnessing trauma, the physical trauma we endure ourselves and mental, emotional trauma we go through over a 30 year career. And you see how the regular person's problems can be just absolutely magnified by our career. So we had to adjust our goal a little bit. And now the goal was reach as many people as possible and build as big of a community as possible. So when spring months come around, we could either fall back on that community or you had participated in Devote December and maybe you're more apt to pick up activity again. And like I talked about, positively affect your mood and then get the help from a professional that that may be needed. And the gravity and urgency of this situation hit us pretty quickly. I mean, we had both been aware of the increased number of suicides in fire and EMS. We were both aware that they were outpacing line of duty deaths at a steady rate. I mean, a steady rate. They were over, they've been over 120 suicides in fire and EMS for the past several years. And I think we've seen line of duty deaths drop below 100 now for several years. But the point was really driven home when we looked back and when we started first talking about Devote December, I think we were at 112 or 113 validated suicides. And in just the short three weeks it took to get this thing up and running. And on the day one of Devote December, the number was 116. So that means three people, three people had been validated of commuting suicide in just just those three weeks. And not just people, right? But these are people that had the same jobs as us, the same careers as us. I'm sure they had similar friends and families as us, same environments, livelihoods. In that course of just putting this thing together, three more people had been validated as committing suicide. And so right there, I mean, we knew this was desperate, right? Desperate times, but we knew it was absolutely needed. And that just really pushed us with a lot of a lot of enthusiasm into the month. And so we started the month with day one, 116. And we set the tone early. This was 116 of anything, anything that made that number meaningful to you. So it absolutely could be push-ups or squats, but also could be 116 seconds of deep breathing or 116 seconds of meditation or 11.6 minutes of mindfulness practice. Really any way to incorporate that daily number to make it meaningful to you and grow the community of those participating. So any way we can get people involved. And Annette and I had committed to doing it as a daily activity, but we also made it very clear that even if you only did one day uh, or even 1.16 seconds of something, you were in. You were part of December, and thank you for joining us, and you were helping, and we were happy to have you, and welcome to our community. And over the course of the month, obviously and predictably and agonizingly, the number grew. It grew steadily. And it's it's important to remember, just a side note here, that these are validated. So they're not added to the total until they're validated as confirmed suicides. So that means it's not just watching the news and you see a report of a suicide and you add that to the number. It actually goes through the Firefighter Behavioral Health Alliance. They reach out, they investigate the story essentially, and then once it's validated by them, they add it to the number. I think one of the things that struck both Annette and I was how many people joined on to this journey with us. And it started as a campaign. It started as a thing to do every day, but it really did turn into a journey. It started to carry real weight as we checked the numbers and updated them and 
did our daily devotion uh, of our movements. And as it went up and up and up, we stopped calling them numbers, right? We stopped saying the numbers increased to 118. The numbers increased to 120. We started saying we there have been three additional people added to the validated total. There have been four additional people added to the validated total. And that just changed it completely. I mean, even if you stayed out of the mindfulness practice or the meditation side of it, even doing 125 push-ups, you might be sore the next day. And then as you went to go do something else, you feel those sore muscles. And you remember what each one of those push-ups meant. And it, it just changed it. It turned into something much bigger than just an awareness campaign for us. And I think it changed it for a lot of people as we we're going through it, because as we continue to see the numbers climb and grow and the people added to the, t- the validated total, it really took on a different meaning for everybody. And we were shocked and grateful for the community we developed. And we really hit kind of a strange point in the middle of this thing where we were, we were so happy and proud what we were accomplishing, but the reason we were accomplishing it was just, was so terrible. And so we, we were struggling with that. We, we wanted to grow and we wanted people to have, I'd say fun with it and get involved in it to be a, an exciting and fun thing. But then we also had to remember we were, we were using a number of people that had killed themselves. We were using that number of people that didn't want to be here anymore and decided death was a better option to base our movements and our practice off of. And so that, that put us in a real tricky spot. Uh, but we continued on because once we saw what the community was turning into and doing and the positive effect of it, we knew we just couldn't stop. The number eventually grew to 130. And on the last day, we rounded it out. And the way this works is, like I said, they're validated. And so even though at the end of December, the number was 130, now it's grown to 140 because over the course of the year, more was investigated. Additional people were added to that total. Uh, but we stopped to vote December last year at 130. And that was on the last day. And we looked back at what we accomplished. And while we knew that it was an amazing campaign, we also are very aware of the limitations of a awareness campaign that although we felt the impact of it and the gravity of the situation, at the end of the day, we were just doing push-ups and squats. And we might've grown and we gained a better perspective, but the effectiveness of awareness campaigns are relatively limited. Now, before I go on to what Spring for Change is and how we took that idea and moved on with it, I will tell you that Annette did get a message like in late January from somebody who said, listen, I'm usually in a pretty good mood and I'm usually very fit and active, but I've been in a real slump and I felt, I felt really bad in December and I saw what you guys were doing and I saw the community and I joined in a couple of times and I recognized this person. They popped in the devote December feed a handful of times and they said, essentially I was at a really bad place and because of what you guys were doing, it made me reevaluate and go get professional help. So thank you for doing it and please don't stop. And that was, I mean, that was huge. And we always say like, oh, if we can always help, if we can only just help one person or if one person can be affected by it or that's all that matters. And that's, that's good to say and it's easy to say and it's true. But when that one person comes through and actually tells you that, I mean, it really just, it changes everything. And it really emboldened us to keep pushing and actually develop something in addition to Vote December because we knew that there was more to do. We knew that awareness campaigns were cool and they get people involved. But for actually having effectiveness, they were relatively limited. And that's what started to grow the next, the next campaign. 
and that is spring for change. So again, I was in my basement working out and the text started to flow. And after another three days of just endless text back and forth, pictures, ideas, logos, slogans, we came down with spring for change. And we started by identifying the four major areas of wellness for fire and EMS. And really for general population, remember, we're, we're trying to prevent and reduce fire and EMS suicides. So we came up with sleep, nutrition, mindfulness, and fitness. And these are four things that are absolutely crucial and also absolutely sacrificed in the fire EMS world. And if you have one that's compromised, you'll probably be okay. Uh, if you have two, you know, not so great. Any more than two, you could be in some real trouble. And it's likely that whatever you're doing is not sustainable. And then, like I said before, you apply that to our constraints in the fire service and a 30-year career of trauma, not only physical, but mental and emotional, it, it can be just a recipe for disaster. After we got our, our four pillars, we developed a mission statement, and the mission statement of Spring for Change is to provide scientifically sound and first responder-relevant information that enhances mental health while mitigating precursors to fire and EMS suicides. And what that means is we're going to barrage you with a ton of stuff to keep you healthy and keep you here because we need you. All right, in April, get ready. We're coming at you. And so we had our fact that suicides were highest in spring. We had our four pillars of wellness, and that led us to spring four, the number four, change. Super catchy. And essentially what we're going to do is run a month-long seminar on those four topics. We gave each we gave each topic a week, a full week, and filled it with our friends and our experts and our own teachings and got as much stuff on each of those four areas as we could jam into a week. So I took a quick look back at my feed and just a cursory look. Here's what I found for our sleep week. We had uh, extensive sleep tracking with the whoop strap. We, used, we talked to Allison Breger, who's a sleep expert and doctor. We talked to first responder sleep recovery. We had uh, several breakdowns of sleep and mental health studies. For the Mindfulness Week, we had Kate Colvin, who is the tactical psych. We had Wendy Lund. We had an interview with Wendy Lund in the Code 15 Project. And we had several talks about time versus capacity and mental health for firefighters and first responders. For the Fitness Week, we talked about building out your home gym. We did several tutorials on movements like hinge versus squat, loaded carries, and the therapy wall squat. We talked about making your own sandbag. And we had some other fun stuff in there uh, down in the gym. Uh, in the nutrition week, we talked to Scott Forbes, who is Dr. Creatine. We also went over supplements for wellness, diets for firefighters, and we talked about intermittent fasting for firefighters. I mean, we put out a ton of material all month long. And again, obviously, Annette and I stood to benefit from it because we all have our weak points as well. One of the largest areas that I was was interested in was mindfulness. Uh, I had been aware of mindfulness. I've seen Wendy Lund present in the past and I had a grip of a few concepts, but I had never tried like a mindfulness practice before. And that was something I was able to do in that month. If, even if only just for a week, I was able to try out a mindfulness practice and see what parts of it I liked, see what I could work on. Annette and I really enjoyed being able to get such current and directly applicable information from experts directly to our peers, directly to fire and EMS on the topics we know that we need the most from the people who know the most about them to the people who need them the most. I mean, it was awesome. On another personal level, it was absolutely torture for Annette and I because it was nowhere near 
and by design, but it was nowhere near as interactive as Devote December. So during Devote December, it was all interaction. It was all do something, tag it, post it, re-tag it, virtual high fives, cheering each other on, growing communities, see how everybody's doing, building friendships, building bonds, a month of that. Spring for Change was basically, we're going to push out as much stuff as we can as a resource and as a database. And you might not need it now, and you might not even want to hear it now, but hold on to it, or at least bookmark it, or at least know that it's there, because sometime in the future, you might need it. And with that approach, there was very little feedback. There's very little interaction. There was some, I mean, we had people commenting and liking and and reposting and sharing, but in terms of daily feedback, uh, very little. So it was actually pretty torturous for us. And we had to remind ourselves uh, several times that, hey, we're just putting stuff out as a database and as a resource. Don't expect people to take it and run with it and make these life-changing adjustments right now. They might not use them for 10 years, but if they do, it had been worth the effort of putting it out. Once we did that for ourselves, we reminded ourselves what we were doing. It ran very smoothly and it was very fulfilling because we were just so happy with the stuff we were putting out and the feedback we got back really was good. It really was positive and showed us we were on the right path of this thing. Now, because of those issues that we kind of found, we're changing the format this year. It'll be an improvement. It'll be an improvement for not only the people watching and joining us, but definitely an improvement for Annette and I. Uh, we're still looking at April and we're still going to use the four pillars of sleep, mindfulness, nutrition, and fitness. But the delivery method is going to change a little bit and we're going to roll out those changes or announce them during Devote December with the hopes that as we grow the community in Devote December and we get a bunch of momentum going, then we can advertise Spring for Change and roll that group of our peers and everybody who cares about us right into Spring for Change. And we just keep the momentum going and it's just this continuation of awesomeness as we roll through the year. I mean, right now, I think this is this is probably the best time for this. And it's the worst time for a lot of first responders. We're going to be dealing with the effects of this year for generations in the physical front, the mental and emotional front, the trauma front. We're going to be dealing with this year for a long, long time. And so I really think there's no better time than to start planting the seeds and growing this movement of Devote December and Spring for Change than right now. So if I can just ask one thing of you, it would be to go on social media and follow Devote December. On Instagram, it's at Devote December. On Facebook, it's at Devote December. Go follow it. If you don't follow me or Annette, please follow us too. I'm at 4th Shift Fitness, number 4TH Shift Fitness. Annette is Fire SQ Fitness. That's Fire, the letter S, the letter Q, Fitness. Follow us, but most importantly, follow Devote December. We're already doing weekly updates on the number of validated suicides. We're already starting to get the momentum going. And we really, really want to push this thing this year. We want to grow this community as large as possible and then get as many people possible involved in participating and learning in Spring for Change with the direct goal of reducing and preventing fire and EMS suicide. So please go follow Devote December. Join us in December. Join us in April. We'd love to have you. And whether you're part of the fire service or not, whether you know somebody or not that's in the fire service or in, in the EMS side of it, Come with us. Come with us, check it out, and help us get the word out and prevent fire and EMS suicides. So, man, has some some heavy stuff on a long, long episode, too. Holy cow, we're just under an hour here. 
heavy stuff, long episodes, but I mean, this is what, I mean, this is really what I think we need. We need these discussions and ideas and this small little incremental progress. And it's going to be small and it's going to be slow. I promise. And if you're in a position where you can affect a small little bit amount of change, please keep pushing. Okay. Please keep pushing. Please keep reaching out, grow your community, grow your database of people, keep pushing forward because eventually it's going to break through. It's gotta, right? The need is there. And if your desire and your passion is there, eventually those two things will combine and you'll, we'll all be in a much better spot, but please keep pushing if you're in that spot to affect change. And with that, I hope to see all of you guys during Devote December. Like I said, if you missed the first two episodes of this podcast, go back, listen to it. First one's an intro episode all about fourth shift fitness, all about tailboard talks and all about me. Second one is fitness trackers. And today we talked about the incentivized fitness program, Devote December and Spring for Change. As always, guys, I really, really hope that you found today's episode and every episode in the fourth shift fitcast to be purposeful, practical, and applicable. If you have any questions about anything or just want to reach out and say, hey, don't hesitate, shoot me an email or a DM. My email is number 4th, fourth shift fit at gmail.com. All my social handles are at fourth, number 4th, fourth shift fitness. As always, guys, thanks for coming. Talk to you soon and be a fourth shifter.